The one question that I often find myself asking is what do I do next? In the midst of a trial or a struggle or a challenge, I just find myself uh, often going towards that question of what do I do? Amen. What do I do? And I wanted, to, I wanted to just encourage you that today that's what this is all about. This message today is all about what do you do? And you know, it's, it's not so much about what you do in terms of specific actions like you got to do three quads and three this and three that. It's about a process. It's about procedures. It's about procedures. We all need a plan of attack. We all need to have some uh, degree of understanding how we're going to face the challenges of life that we have, whatever they may be. You have challenges. Maybe they're big ones or small ones, but we all have challenges. Reaching the prize that's set before us needs this kind of a plan. It needs a procedure. It's kind of like uh, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z regardless of how I feel. I'm going to follow through on the things that I need to do in spite of what's going on. So those are the things that we need to do uh, in a business plan or a life plan there are certain things that we look at. Last week, we looked at prerogatives for reaching the prize. And today, we're going to look at the vital procedures needed to get us there. How do you get towards reaching the prize? How do you arrive, I guess, would be another way to say it. You don't, you don't, you don't arrive in one day. You don't arrive in one moment. You don't arrive just because you decided you're going to Pursue it. You don't just show up and say, okay, I made it. You know, it's not like uh, Star Wars or any of that kind of stuff where you can just uh, uh, have them speak it and have it be done or make it so, you know, in, in uh, other things too. So it's, it's really critical that we understand what it takes in terms of the procedures. So let's look at the passage that's in your notes, read it together, and then we'll dissect it. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to 19 first. Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine, and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows the that whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Do you know that we are actually swimming upstream? As children of God, as believers, we're going against the grain. Those who stand in our way and the philosophies that we face, they're big. They are against us. They're bold. They're dangerous. In Paul's day, there were two main groups that he was concerned about. And these two main groups really did their number on the early church. 
The first was on the Jewish side. The Jewish side had a group of people called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers taught that salvation was by grace. <coughs> you had to add circumcision and keeping the law. So it wasn't by grace. It was grace plus. Grace plus. They added that both circumcision and keeping the law were required. False and untrue. The second were the Gentiles, the Gnostics. And the Gnostics were so beyond themselves that they thought that God saved the spirit and the soul, but not the body. The body was uh, just maybe a side note or thought or whatever. So we find that this group called the Gnostics they believed that you could do anything you wanted with your body. So they were salvation minus. They took away from what salvation did and taught. You could do whatever you want physically through promiscuity, abuse, even neglect. It would not impact your salvation. That was false. It is false. Then Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, he says, and you can see it in your notes, we are citizens of heaven. It's the next verse on your sheet. Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. In this passage, Paul gives us three practices that are essential for reaching the prize and not falling short of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. There are four principles that we want to cover together today Three of them are in this passage, and one of them we'll take from last week's passage, last week's scripture. So we're going to take one from there first and then move into this passage. So point number one on your outline, strive to, strive to be single-minded. Strive to be single-minded. Philippians 3, 12 to 14 in the Phillips paraphrase says, Yet my brothers... I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually, nor do I consider myself already perfect. But I keep going on, grasping ever more firmly that purpose for which Christ grasped me. My brothers, I do not consider myself to have fully grasped it even now, but I do concentrate on this. I leave the past behind and with hands outstretched to whatever lies ahead, I go straight for the goal. I go straight for the goal. My reward is the honor of being called by God in Christ. In Philippians here, in this Philip's tra paraphrase translation, in this portion of scripture, he says, I do not concentrate on the past. He says, I do concentrate on leaving my past behind me 
and going forward toward the goal, in Philippians 3.13 and 14 in the New American Standard, Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So his first priority is clear. When he writes, one thing I do, one thing I do, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Priority number one is be single-minded. Everything that you do, everything that you're about, everything that you struggle with, all the decisions you make, everything else, it has to funnel through this single-mindedness. He was single-minded in his pursuit of reaching the goal. It was part of his overall fabric of life. When he woke up, it was in his sights. When he went to bed, it was in his thoughts. He made decisions based on this one truth, one thing I do. It was easy for Paul to say no to certain things because they didn't fit in with that one thing, that one thing. It's so important. Paul is basically telling us not to be scatterbrained. He was encouraging us not to be torn in all kinds of directions, but to stay single-minded. And when you're being pulled this way and that way, and you're, when you're being literally stretched apart in all kinds of different directions, come back to this one single purpose of your life. One thing I do. And you'll see some of those dissipate. You'll see some of those go away. I remember when I was uh, just a young guy, 20 years old, and I loved this girl. Her name was Ruth. And I remember one night, we were pretty serious, and I, I wanted to marry Ruth. And yet, and yet I was so focused and single-minded on my purpose and journey and what I was doing. And it's a funny thing. I just had this feeling inside that I needed to tell her to make a decision. And so we're standing outside of the dorm hall and we're talking and I said, look, Ruth, this is what I'm doing. This is where my, I'm going. This is what my life is all about. So Ruth, I want you to go into your room, sleep on it. And I want you to come back tomorrow and tell me if you're going to go with me or not. If you're going to go with me, we'll go together. If you're not going to go with me, then I'll just go alone. I just didn't see any sense in wasting any more time. That's my sense of it all. But at the time, I thought, Bob, you really messed up. <laughs> you know, you, you put her on the spot, and she's going to say no, and you're going, to be, you're going to be so hurt because she said no. <laughs> she said yes, thank God. <laughs> and the rest is history. We move on together. So it's important for you to make that kind of a decision and trust God with the results of it. So important. Ask yourself questions to help you. Ask yourself these kinds of questions. 
Will doing this thing help me or hurt me in my pursuit of the prize? Will it help or hurt? Will this investment of time enhance my spiritual journey or will it hinder my spiritual journey? Will this job lead me to where I want to go or am I just looking for a paycheck? Is this a waste of time or an enhancement of my time? Of course, life goes on and at times it feels like we are standing still, but that is not the case because in stillness and in busyness, the why continues to be essential. It really does. People who make an impact in the world, people who make a great impact in the world have a single-minded commitment. A single-minded commitment to reaching their goals. They are willing to make whatever sacrifices are necessary to achieve them. But those who are consumed with themselves, their needs, their comforts, rarely accomplish much. So it's time to be single-minded, single-minded. Being single-minded means that your own needs, your own comforts, your own blessings, they become less important and less vital than being like the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. A basic theme, by the way, of modern society these days is the unfortunate psychology that teaches us that people exist for their own satisfaction. The end result is that people need to have all their needs and their wants met. A lot of preaching these days is all about meeting your needs. In fact, there's a psychology in Christianity where even a lot of teachers are saying, Jesus will meet your needs. Well, maybe not. Jesus will meet your greatest need for a Savior and as your Lord. But it's so critical that we understand that God is not some kind of a genie who exists to grant humans whatever they want so that they will be happy and fulfilled. All this does is make them very unhappy and disillusioned. Amen. A twisted psychology it is. Focus on having your needs met. Focus on being comfortable. Focus on being blessed. To hell with the rest of it. To hell with anybody else. And so churches and all kinds of stuff leads in the, into that area. But you won't find that in Paul. You won't find that in his teaching and you certainly won't find it here in this message today. Right. Be single-minded, even if it hurts. Be single-minded, even if it costs you in the short term. Be single-minded. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 presents Jesus Christ as the sovereign Savior and Lord, before whom every knee will bow in submission and obedience. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus may not be the quick cure 
for all of life's problems. How many of you have problems you'd like Jesus to fix? 100% of us. But he's not doing it all. That doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It doesn't mean he doesn't care for us. But that is not a theology for life. He certainly is not the Lord of the prosperity gospel or the name it and claim it crowd. He's the Savior and Lord of those who are humbly aware of their sinfulness and grateful, always grateful for his grace. Striving to be single-minded means an understanding of Jesus' refuting words in John 16, 33, where he reminds us, in this world, you will have troubles. And his clarity on the journey found in Luke 9, 23, where he says, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. No ambiguity, no fog, no lack of clarity. Your needs and your desires will not be met by this genie. Receive him. Receive Jesus as Savior and he will meet your needs. He will give you the salvation that you desperately need. Jesus as Lord, he will give you the power to pursue him and remain single-minded. Finally, and we're going to move now to point number two on the outline, it speaks to this important question. Let me read this question to you. Will this relationship benefit my walk with God or will it stifle my walk with the Lord? Will spending an extended amount of time with this individual help me or hurt me? And don't go by your emotions. Don't go by the feeling stuff. You got to make the decision based on the facts. So they may not be your friend forever. Best friend forever. You might just put them on Facebook and they can stay your best friend there forever. (laughs) The way Facebook is these days. Follow good examples. Follow good examples. Philippians 3.17 says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Pay attention to those who live according to the pattern we have set for you. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul simply says, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul had the scriptures and the Holy Spirit to enable him to stay focused. We too need the word of God. The word of God, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ. As we see in Colossians 2.3, he says, all the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him, in Jesus We also need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to be transformed. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Now all of us, all of us with our faces unveiled, reflect the glory of the Lord as if we are mirrors. And so we are being transformed, metamorphosed, into His same image from one radiance of glory to another, just as the Spirit of the Lord accomplishes it. You need the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The Word of God, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God 
and uses it to permeate our lives and to transform us. Listen to Philippians 3.17 in the Mount's translation. It says, join in following my example, brothers, and pay close attention to those who are living this way as you have us as an example. Where we've heard this before, we've heard this before by Jesus. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus multiple times said, follow me, follow me, follow me. Matthew 16, 24, he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Who will you follow? Who you follow will make a difference in your life, a great impact in your life. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 33 there in your notes, he says, do not be fooled. If good people keep company with bad people, the good people will become bad too. Amen. You know, it's, it's an unfortunate truth. We're told to follow Christ who was perfect and did not need to reach perfection. He was already perfect. Right. He is our ultimate example but we're encouraged to follow Paul, who in the process of being transformed or perfect, he is our great example, and we're challenged to follow others who, like Paul, are single-minded in their pursuits. They are good examples. You have the ultimate example is Jesus, but he wasn't striving to be perfect. He was perfect. We have Paul who was on that journey. We have others who were on that journey. And Paul says, follow the people that are on this same journey. Follow people who have this same focus on their lives. Follow those who have this pattern. Point number three, Paul says next, avoid spiritual deception. Avoid spiritual deception. Philippians 3.18, he says, For many walk of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Hmm. You got to watch out. You got to watch out for fakes. Watch out for people that'll sell you a hill of beans and you'll get no return on your investment. Do not be deceived. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. Matthew 7.15 says this. Jesus warned us. He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Note that these are not outsiders. These are men and women who appear as insiders. They are in fellowship. They are part of the fellowship. They appear to be in good standing, but they are standing in a bad place. Look at the warning that Paul gave to the Ephesian leaders in Acts 20, 28 to 31. He says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purposed with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you and not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, again, among yourselves, 
men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. In Paul's statement here, and also the one in Philippians we looked at, in both situations, Paul is said to have tears weeping over their deception and also over their demise. These are enemies of the cross of Christ. You know, the cross was an instrument of death. The cross is where Jesus died. It was far more than just sticks of wood. It was the means by which Jesus offered himself for the redemption of humanity. It was on the cross that he paid our entire debt. And by faith we receive his forgiveness. The bottom line is that these charlatans despise the salvation granted us by the death of Jesus. They were not helpful. They were not trying to lead us in a positive way. They were and they are charlatans. Remember the Judaizers and the Gnostics? Judaizers added to the gospel. The Gnostics subtracted from the gospel. It was insane. Look at point number four and realize that it continues the thrust of point number three. Point number four is actually a follow-up to point number three. The four marks of a deceiver. These are people that are enemies of the cross of Christ. He says in Philippians 3.19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. This is what happens to them. This is where they are headed and some details about their lives. Their destruction. Their destruction. The word end is the Greek word telos, which refers to their ultimate destiny, which will be eternal destruction in hell. They're not going to make it out. They're stuck. Their destruction... But what about their allegiance, their allegiance, their devotion? He says, whose God is their belly, whose God is their belly or their appetite. Appetite is the Greek word koilia, stomach, for stomach, literally. It is used metaphorically to refer to all restrained, all unrestrained, rather, sensual, fleshly, and bodily desires. 1 Corinthians 6.13 reminds us that food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, yes. But God will put an end to both. The body is not to be used for sexual immorality but to serve the Lord and the Lord provides for the body. In Jude's letter, in verse 4 of Jude, he writes, some godless people some godless people have sneaked in among us and are saying, get it? They have snuck in amongst us like sheep amongst wolves and saying, God treats us much better than we deserve. And so it is all right to be immoral. They actually believed that. They even deny we must obey Jesus Christ as our only master and Lord. 
But long ago, the scripture warned that these godless people were doomed. These godless people were doomed. What about their disgrace? This is amazing. These false teachers and false influencers boast in the very things that bring shame to them. The Judaizers boasted in all of their rubbish. Remember the Apostle Paul talks about, I count all these things now as rubbish? They boasted in their rubbish, which in the end would bring shame to them. And you also find uh, James 4.4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So it's, it's very important. 1 John 2.15 reminds us, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. According to Colossians 3, 1 to 3, our focus should be upward, not downward. It should be heavenward, not earthbound. He writes there, since you become alive again, so to speak, when Christ rose from the dead, now set your sights on the rich treasures and joys of heaven where he sits beside God in places of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. You should have as little desire for this world as a dead person does. Your real life is in heaven with Christ and God. And you should, number five, always focus your hope on your future. Always focus your hope on your future. There are three things that he talks about in verses 20 and 21. He talks about our citizenship, our expectations, and our transformation. Let's read this verse first. We, however, are citizens of heaven, and we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come from heaven. He will change our weak, mortal bodies and make them like his own glorious body, using that power by which he is able to bring all things under his rule. Our citizenship. You have to to realize the importance of this procedure process. It starts off with being single-minded. It ends by being single-minded. Your citizenship is in heaven. Citizen is the Greek word polituma. It signifies where one has official status. Official status. We as believers live in the world, but we are not of this world. We as believers live in the world, but we're not of this world. Our home is in heaven. Heaven. Where the saints are. Our home is in heaven where our dead, sleeping brothers and sisters are. Our home is in heaven, where our adoption will be complete. In heaven, where our inheritance is secure. In heaven, where, in heaven, where our treasure should be. In heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. So when people ask you where you're from, heaven. 
heaven. What about our expectation? This is so good. Eagerly wait. They eagerly waited for the return of the Lord. Eagerly wait is apektekomai. The eagerness and the patience with which we wait for Jesus. His return. This will be the end of our earthly struggles when he returns. When he returns, it will be the beginning of all of his heavenly promises. So we say with John, even so come, Lord Jesus. We have an expectation that Jesus will come any moment, any hour, at any time. Nothing needs to happen before he returns. For all these years that I've been walking with the Lord, over the years I've had people say, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Look at what's happening. In fact, even now you'll hear people, you'll hear people saying, Bob, it's so exciting. They've got the furniture for the temple. Look, I'm not downplaying any of those things. I'm not saying it's not exciting. I'm not saying that they don't advance the cause of our hope and our endurance. What I am saying is that when Paul wrote these words, he had the same expectation. I am saying that nothing needs to happen. Did you hear that? Nothing needs to happen before Jesus returns. There is no dramatic event that has to take place. There's no building of the temple that has to happen. None of the stuff that people have said has to happen, has to happen. Now it's exciting that those things are happening because what they tell me is it's getting closer and closer and closer and closer. It's coming. It's coming. But I'm not relying on the stuff that's happening. I'm believing in the Jesus who promised it. Jesus said, I will return. I believe him. Jesus said, I will come back. I believe him. I believe in the fact that Jesus is going to return. It's an expectation. So as a believer, I have my citizenship in heaven. My expectation comes from heaven. And my third transformation comes from the power of Jesus in heaven. These mortal bodies, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, these mortal bodies will take on immortality. Immortality. We shall be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We shall be changed. In a moment, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, when the trump sounds, we shall be changed. In fact, 1 Thessalonians reminds us that when the trump sounds, the dead will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air. Just like that. You might not even watch the games, the football games, the challenges and the championships today. You may not make it to the Super Bowl because Jesus may return. Even so come Lord Jesus. You may not get that bonus you're looking forward to. But you'll get bonused in heaven. 1 John 3, 2 says, 
Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. So what do I want to remind you of, believer? Child of God? Committed Christian? Your tomorrow is greater than your yesterday. Your tomorrows are more powerful and more blessed than today. What God in Christ has planned for you is worth every ounce of your energy, even if you don't feel you have any. It's worth your devotion. It is worth your commitment. It's worth every ounce of effort you give it. So here are the four things in your procedures. There are four things. Strive to be single-minded, number one. Number two, follow good examples. Number three, avoid spiritual deception. And then number four, focus on your future. Focus on your future. Don't focus on your past. Don't focus on what if. Don't focus on maybe. Don't focus on whatever comes from their past. Focus on your future. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you this morning, Father, for these simple, powerful procedures that you give to us to keep us on track. Father, I thank you that none of these things are based on how we feel. They're based on the facts and on what you give us and what you provide for us. So help us, Lord, to strive to be single-minded and to make sure that we bounce everything off that one question. Should I or should I not? Will I or will I not? Help us to follow good examples. Help us to get in with the Jesus huddle. Help us to avoid deception, paying attention to what people say and the lies they say. And Lord God, help us to focus on the future, our bright future. We want to thank you so much today for making us citizens of heaven. We want to thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, for giving us this great and powerful expectation of your return. And we want to thank you that everything that we believe is absolutely right on, spot on, true. Yes, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.